to the What The Fork Happened this week's podcast in association with Viper Goalkeeping. It's been a, a bit of a quiet week, not. And to discuss the week in footy is firstly, Jack, how you doing, mate? You all right? I'm all right, yeah. Yourself? Yeah, getting by, mate. Not too bad. Like, <laughs> neither team got beat on the weekend that I follow, so I'm all happy. I'm not too bad. <laughs> um, coming up after that, Ian, you've you had a bit of a sabbatical. You had a week away with the, the cat not returning last week, but... <laughs> How's you well, and the cat, mate? All right. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, she's in the room, so who knows? Who knows? She might turn <laughs> No, if this is the first time anyone's listened to this, they're going to be like, "Why the fuck would a cat come on and talk like cats don't?" <laughs> Wonderfully, onto the first topic that we always have, which is Sunderland. Uh, we normally have ten minutes on it, but we've had two games. Uh, come to you first, Jack. Obviously, we'll look at the Charlton game first. What did you make of it? I thought we played very well the first half. I thought we looked threatening. We got in some decent positions. Um, and But for the lack of quality in the final ball, I think we probably should have and would have gone 1-0 in front. I think 0-9 and Hume both got in good positions down in wide areas. and Really, like you say, lack, lack of end product really cost us. Danny Graham had a couple of half chances. He had one set that he probably should have scored at the back stick. And then on another day, we go in half-time 1-0 or even 2-0 up and we win the game. So... Disappointing not to get three points, but we got to draw away from home. It's another clean sheet. And when you look at the fixtures, I think if you'd offered Sunderland fans eight points from the first four games, they were judged to be quite a, a tough run of games. I think most Sunderland fans would have probably taken that two wins and two draws. So yeah, probably. I just it's weird how they came because if if it was like a win over Charlton and a win over Bristol Rovers and two draws at Oxford and a draw against Peterborough, it's just weird that it's came. Like the other way around, but I think um, a few people had said the, the same actually, and I think I agree with it. And obviously, it's a game of opinion, so I'm not right nor wrong with this. But is it right in saying it was probably our best performance of the season? I'd certainly say first half. I was, we, we, were, we were massively on top. You know, we, we were like you say, the team on the front foot, creating chances. We got the ball down, played some good football. We looked sharp. We looked ready. And the only thing we lacked, which is obvious to say, was a goal. Do you know what I mean? If we if we get that goal. We we win the game, you know, and it's certainly you know one or two we would have would have won the game and would be coming away saying three wins out of four would have been a brilliant start. Whereas we've still been a decent start, but we're maybe a couple of points short of where we could have been. We've been discussing uh, Grant Ledbetter for a few weeks and stuff like that, and his kind of um, improving form. I think he was excellent again on Saturday. I think he controlled literally everything. I thought he was probably, if not the best, one of the best players on the pitch. Um, do you think Grant Ledbetter's back or the player that we, we thought we were signing, or do we still need to see a, a couple more games before we can decide that? That's to you, Jack. Yeah. Or either oh, anyone. I just have to do. I thought you might want you might want one <laughs> Go you you go Ian, you go. Yeah, I think um you know what it's you know Grant Grant coming back to the club and all of the stuff he was obviously going through, I think it's played a big part on actually, you know, the player that we've seen. Yeah. Um you know, I think he's he's had, you know, time time to really go go through what he has to go through and uh you know you know he's come 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 there back he's looking bit sharp on it you know looks like the player who, who we know he he you know can can there be so uh yeah hopefully hope, hopefully this is him now yeah because i think when i think when we signed Ledbetter, i was thinking well fair enough he's maybe not the Ledbetter we had that was top end championship premiership kind of good squad player but 
he was coming with a lot more experience. He'd been, he's loved at Middlesbrough. Everyone loves him at Middlesbrough, still loves him. And when it comes to, to Grant, I thought he'd come into this division and absolutely dominated. In the first few games, he he had a couple of corners, which he put in and we scored from corners. And at the time, we weren't really scoring that many. But then I, I'll admit, I was a bit disappointed with, you know, the way that signing worked out. But then you look at that now and the way he's performing and obviously with what he's been through, the Grant Ledbetter that we've seen sort of last year is probably the Grant Ledbetter that was himself. I don't think he felt himself either. And we certainly didn't see the Grant Ledbetter that I think we all knew and expected. But um, I'll come to you with this one, Jack. I mean, do you think Grant Ledbetter's, you know, probably unfortunately well-documented issues he had previously were probably the only thing holding him back from being the Grant Ledbetter we expected. And now, thankfully, he's over it. We'll, we'll see the Grant Ledbetter we, we thought we'd signed. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, when we first signed him, he wasn't, it wasn't really an inspiring or exciting signing, I must admit. I think he was kind of more of what we thought we had at the time, which was, you know, not really physical, maybe not the quickest. He wasn't the quickest back in his heyday. But I think what he can fill is the real... The, the, the experience void that perhaps someone like a Catamore maybe wasn't at the minute. So he's, yeah. he's been around, he's, he's you know, well you know well into his 30s now, Ledbetter, he knows the club inside out and I think he'll be wanting to put his arm around players and really drive the younger players and the less experienced players on. I think in terms of his mental health issues, it can't be underestimated how much that can play a part in someone, you know, in, in someone's kind of um, behaviour. And, you know, if he, if he wasn't in the right frame of mind to play football, you know, you're not going to see the best out of anybody if they're not right mentally. You know, particularly in a physical, in a physical role, in a sporting role. So if, if if they're not mentally sound or mentally, you know, of the of the right frame of mind, shall we say, it will affect them. So I think, like you say, it, it took him a, a few games to get to get going. And you know, I think in that time he may may maybe having a bit of time away from football will help him. You know, maybe maybe a break will will do him all the world of good. I think as well with um with Ledbetter, he he seems to be the kind of lad that. Even if he was really, really suffering, maybe um, away from the pitch, and, and that was affecting his performances on the pitch, I think he feels like the kind of lad where, like, he goes, "But I've got to perform for Sunderland," and he probably played for a lot longer than maybe he should have done. Um, it was great to see him, like, on Instagram with his his little girl, who's obviously really into our football, and I think he's he's always tagging Jill Scott and stuff like that. And it just seems like he's that time at home when we were all forced in homes actually benefited him tons and, and I'm really pleased that it has I mean I don't know what I've never spoke to the guy but he certainly seems to have come out the place he was in and it's I think everyone at Sunderland's delighted to see that but it's great to see that he's he's forming the pitches back there as well but Ian apart from um, Grant Ledbetter which, which players are sticking out for you we're, we're four games in so I think we can start looking at which players we think are bringing something to the fore yeah um, I think well right first of all he's just solid isn't he just yeah. uh, you know Hubers sings up breaks, breaks things down you know he's calm you know and you can see see along the back back there three as well the their sort of influence he has I think it's absolute you know stand out there Denver's Hume you know he's he's playing really well mate. yeah I think so too so, <clears throat> Denver's doing well you know he's getting forward he seems to have a bit more end product you know which is something that we've all kind of maybe not had a go but you know we've certainly noticed and actually he's made some good good sort of tackles as well so yeah but really those two for me so far yeah but but also I think I think we need needs to see a bit more from you know a good a good few players as well yeah I think we're not we're really not there but uh, yeah those two are definitely standing out yeah, absolutely. And I think the good thing as well, you can point out with with the game against Charlton, I think 
you only have to kind of look at, at Twitter and people are still not, I mean, I know Twitter is not the best barometer of what people think, but there is people still unhappy with certain aspects of the way Sunderland are playing or the, the things that we do. And there's people I think we should maybe change the formation. The fact that things don't seem 100% perfect or even close to it, really, and yet we're unbeaten, we've only conceded one goal in the league and that's came from a penalty, is probably a huge testament to, to how they're doing. And I discussed this last week and maybe I'm too early on it. I threw this one at you, Jack. I said that I was parky in, still parky in, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm quite liking this school teacher vibes that he's bringing where we seem steady, solid. I do think we need a centre forward, but I think I think he's only a centre forward away from being a pretty decent League One team. What do you think, Jack? I would agree, yeah, particularly on, on Saturday. I think that was what was lacking. But we went to Charlton, if we have a Josh Madger, for example, if he's still at Sunderland, I'm fairly certain he would took one of those chances that Danny Graham didn't win the game. And sometimes that's the difference. I think I'll, I'll play. Parkinson's been criticised at this time that he's been here in terms of how attractive the play actually is. And I do get that a lot of time he does go long ball. He is fairly direct in the way that he plays. I actually thought Saturday was one of the best first halves we played in terms of how nice it was to watch, how good it was to watch. I thought we got the ball down, we got the ball into wide areas, we were playing triangle football, we're getting in behind a lot. And, you know, broken record, but bar and end product, you know, bar one of those chances going in, which should have and could have really. Everyone would be looking at it from a different perspective, but I think I think it can't be too critical. Eight points from the first four games, and when you look at how how hard the fixtures were, really a lot of people were saying, "Well, we're going to be in the bottom six after the first four games," and you know, Charlton, Oxford, Peterborough, you know, they're going to be up there. I actually think we've done fairly well to get eight points in those four games. But I'm content with that. Yeah, very much so. I think there was one negative for me that I started pulling out, and I feel like no one's really picked it out yet. So maybe it's just me, but I'll, I'll throw this one at you, Ian. And I'm not making a judgment on him just yet because I don't think that's fair. But I've really not been impressed by Aidan O'Brien in the first four games. I don't see what he brings. Hmm. Yeah, he looks. Yeah, you look. He looks out, out of sorts. You know, there's you know there's the odd good good sort of touch. Sometimes his movement's not bad. But yeah, he's not. He's not sort of brought anything yet, has he? And that's what I'm saying about, you know, you know, there's a few players there yet who do need to, you know, really show it. You know, yeah. you know, Jack touched on uh our, you know, forwards and um yeah, we need, you know, goals, we need them, you know, to be scoring. Um, you know, supposedly, you know, it's it's uh his goal record's good for, for League One, but he's not looking like like likely to score, is he, just now? I just can't look uh, out where he plays. I mean, he's... Because when we're talking about Sunderland strikers, everyone looks at Danny Graham, Charlie White, um, and, and Will Grigg, and the discussion sort of surrounds them. We even had that on the show the other week where we discussed who we would pick. Um, egg on our faces, because I think we all went for Charlie White at the time, but... Um, <laughs> Aidan O'Brien is playing up front in a two. He, he is playing... He is one of those centre-forwards, and I watch him and I just think, are you a winger? Are you a centre-forward? Are you a 10? Are you number nine? Are you playing behind the centre-forward? Are you playing alongside the centre-forward? I can't quite work out what he's meant to be. And for me, I would probably prefer us... I think we'd probably get more goals from it if we don't sign a striker that is. I think we need to sign one, and a good one at that. But I think we'll probably get more goals from having someone like Danny Graham up front and having Maguire and Gooch next to him. Because I don't think the two up top it's making us look like we're going to score any more goals. But am I being a bit too harsh with that, you know? Um, well, I think, you know, if we look back to last 
you know, season and that that sort of run, that that fairly mini run, you know, that we did yeah. have. But you know, we stuck three past um, the Lincoln, four past um, their sort of Wickham. Yeah. You know, you know, and you know, playing with you know with with that lone their sort of striker, you know, like you say, um each on one side and their sort of Maguire on the the other. It actually seems like we have, you know, just now a bit too many forward sort of players. And actually it, it would be better just uh, you know, with with that front sort of three and with with the um their sort of wing backs as well. They're sort of coming in. That that worked. I'm still reeling from the loss of Kyle Lafferty. I'd waited for Kyle Lafferty <laughs> to sign for something for the best part of like 10 years. And he came and went in the, in the, the glimpse of an eye. I seen him score twice against Gillingham and that was it. It's gone forever, never came back. And now he's gone to, gone to Italy to be the, the man that he is, a glorious man that he is as well. Um, we're approaching, obviously, the, the transfer window soon as well, Jack. And you know, we're discussing are we one centre-forward away from a good team? And it sounds really good when you say that, but when we're looking six months down the line, are we going to go, we needed a centre-forward? Is Danny Graham being brought in to be the man that scores 20 goals a season? Because he doesn't look like it's a 20 goal a season man. And I could be wrong, but he looks more like the kind of guy that would be there up top with a guy who can score 20 goals a season and he can be his foil. But if we are to bring someone in on the spot, who is it we're looking at? Who would you bring in? It's an absolutely excellent question. I don't, I don't have the answer. I think tough enough. I think it, it is, particularly with our, with our um, financial constraints. You know what I mean? You think that we'll, we'll be able to just blow teams away in this league and, and go and get someone similar to the way that we did with Will Grigg. I think Will Grigg was initially seen to as you know as the replacement of Madge. Madge was scoring all those goals first half of the season, and Grigg was brought in as kind of this ready-made. Um, goal scorer and he hasn't really worked out that way which you know a bit of bad luck but a bit of bad finishing as well lack of form and in and out of the team I think Graham was he was an easy option I think he was someone that you know by all accounts I think he would willingly play for a team in the North East so I think that was an, an, an easy way to get him up there but I'd, I agree with you I don't think he's going to get 15, 20 he's not prolific he's more so getting maybe 5 or 10 and link up with a striker who is going to get your goals I, I'm going to be brutally honest I don't have a name of a striker Without looking into the goal records and, and seeing who's available that might come, I don't, I don't have the answer to who who could potentially be going for. The only one that I've, I've noticed, and I only noticed it today, that he was released by EAK Athens, and he's only joined him about two months ago. Was I can't pronounce the guy's second name, um, but he's played for Coventry Brights. And Nekombali. That's the one. Uh, that's the guy. So I'm guessing Ian, by you nodding, which people won't see, you think that maybe that would be worth a shout, yeah. Um, yes, and um, uh, you know, re- realistically, no. <laughs> I, think, yeah. uh, I think he's headed to the best sort of championship. Uh, mm-hmm. No, he's out of our range. Um, yeah, and actually, Jack Jack really summed it up. You know, really well. I can think of you know strikers who we could you know realistically get, but they they would be more your um, you know fifteen goal a season. The sort of striker, which um, they sort of potentially we already have, um, and and our squad's actually far too big. We've got too many forwards, so someone would have to leave. I think. Um, no, I I actually think that we're stuck with. Yeah, it, come on. it worries me a little bit that someone said the other day, and honestly, I hope that someone 
records this and puts it on like a little audio thing at the end of the season it goes ha you idiot because I don't mind being an idiot if it's in someone's benefit but someone said I don't think with all the strikers that we've got they're going to even get 15 goals between them and I found it really hard to disagree with because I was like Charlie White will probably get you five in the league you probably will get you five Will Greg got what did he get last year none in the league one in one in the cup against Burnley and I think you know what Will Greg I'm, I'm maybe being harsh on Will Greg here because I thought he was really good in pre-season I thought he was a little bit unlucky against Hull I think originally I thought one of the goals was offside and when I watched it back it was a bit harsh so you know he scores there he looked dangerous he's probably one of our best players on the day if memory serves me right but it just feels like it's never working with Will Greg like he came on the other day against Charlton and I thought right here we go like here's your chance get your goal and, and then we got a place and often he got put on the right wing. And it was just like, it felt like because Will Grigg came on, that's why Flanagan got sent off because Will Grigg wasn't allowed half an hour up front to actually have a crack at, crack at goal against a relatively poor defence. And then he's knacking his shin. So it just feels like with Will Grigg, it's like, he's a nice lad. It might have worked out, but this the stars are not aligning for that. So for me, Will Grigg's not going to get you five goals either. And then Danny Graham, uh, he might get you seven or something, but you're still only reaching about, what, 13 there? So... Is that going to come end of the season where we go, hang on a minute, like, if we turn a striker, we might gone up. Are we more of a playoff squad without a striker, or do you think we can actually still push high up the league, and I'll, I'll put this to you, Jack, without making the sign-in, or do you think it's imperative that the scouts get their asses in gear, find someone that we can't think of, <laughs> and sign someone? Think, yeah, I think you've touched on it. You've hit the nail on the head. I think without the without a goal-scoring striker where we are a playoff team. I think that's going to be the best we can hope for. Um, and I think that's maybe why Parkinson has kind of, um, or shall we say Sunderland as a team, have kind of been slightly more stable at the back. It's because they're worried that they can't outscore teams going forward. I don't know, it might, it might just be me, but you know, we've only conceded one, which is, touched on, which is great defensively, but I think we've only scored four in four as well. One of them was a penalty. So it's like, you know, are, are we going to try and grind our way out of the division? Do you know what I mean? Are we going to try and make, make one nils and one one draws and nil nils and try and grind grind our way to results to, to get us uh, to get us out of the league because we'll have that lack of goals? Now I hope not. And like I say, we have got a couple of weeks left in this domestic window. So, or is it a week left or ten days? I don't know how long it is. I think there is a little bit of time left. Nine um, days, I think. Nine, nine days. days, is it right? So we we do have that option available, but it's names. You know what I mean? I, I think. What one name I thought of over the over the, the, the time that the the um, football would stop was that Grant Brandulli who who left Blackpool. Yeah. Um. And I thought I thought he was he would have been a decent signing, but he was a free agent for a while, and then I think he went he went abroad to, to a um another another league in a different country. So someone like that I thought would have been good. I think we're lacking goals, we're lacking a bit of athleticism up front. Someone that's got a bit of a decent physique that can run in behind a little bit because we're not really mobile, particularly up front. I think no. you know there's a, there's a real lack of mobility from our strikers. We well, haven't got anyone particularly quick or agile to, to kind of really test defences. No, I, I agree with you. I think we, we've missed pace in the middle and pace up front for a long, long time. And it's um, I, I can't understand why no one outside of me and a couple of other fans that I speak to on a regular basis cannot see that because it's felt like it's been a problem since probably since well, the, the end of the Premiership days, like the very, very end. I mean. Um, the only pace we've had for the best part of five years has been Duncan Watmore, who's unfortunately, um, I think his knee injuries made it difficult for him to, to solidify a place inside and, and B, maybe change the way he was. 
I mean, obviously we had Fraser Campbell on the show this week, but I asked him if he'd come back and he said, there's another window coming up. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm hoping I can persuade Fraser Campbell, but um, I, I wouldn't bank on it because I don't know if he'd want to leave anywhere like that. But like someone with a bit of pace would be you know, fantastic. But I'll move on to the, the Carlisle game because obviously we've had two games since we last spoke, Kent, where this is a little bit delayed, but I'll, I'll come to you, Ian. It was... Um, I cannot make head and the tail of what that game was, but the overriding emotion from it was Jack Diamond and Dan Neal should be a lot closer to the first team. Yeah, yeah, I think everyone's, uh, you know, picked up on that, haven't they? You know, both played well. Um, you know, Diamond really, really played well. Um, yeah, it was an odd game, wasn't it? So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Matthews, uh, you know, he, he missed their time dip. He was clumsy rather than um, hopefully, of uh, hopefully he's not going to turn out like uh, you know Steele or or sort of camp. Camp. He's uh, you know he, he really hasn't sort of shone yet. Has he? but, he's, get, he's getting um, in that realm already, though, isn't he? It's like Sunderland fans can see a shit yeah, goalkeeper a mile off because of Lee Camp. We look at goalkeepers and go, mate, you've got like Papa Dom's for hands, and I can tell. Like <laughs> we can sniff them out like nowhere. But then again, Lee Camp was playing championship football, so you know what do we know? But Remy Matthews actually was a conversation. But before we go on to that, you you were saying about Jack Diamond. I mean, what was it that you think about like Diamond and, and Dan Neal? What what do you think they bring to the squad that we don't have currently? Um, I think well, sort of Neil really is um, going to run. He's got a pass in him. Um, you know, he's uh, he's he looks fairly quick. So there we yeah. go. So that's one thing for him. Um, although he does kind of play in in a role that we're not you know we're not sort of sort of set up for so we would really have to change that you know and that's a shame and um, you know diamond looks perfect for that right right sort of wing you know back slot um you know he, he was up and down you know and they're sort of aware you know burst bursting in, in the, the box some of us um they're sort of crossing as well is really really good so yeah he really uh yeah you know sean <laughs> yeah, he did. He shone, yeah. shone, shone like a diamond, as Rihanna would say. He did indeed, didn't he? Um, <laughs> now I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring a, a question up here. I, I thought this at you, Jack, and I'm not saying it's right, and I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just something that came across my mind yesterday. I was reading through Twitter, and and Charlie White was getting absolutely destroyed, like absolutely annihilated. Like it was to the point where I was like, "Whoa, he's never going to turn this back unless he scores a hat trick every week." And I, I feel like it's like that with Charlie White, to be honest. And I can understand why he's not really been what we wanted or expected or even close to it. But when he did score, when he did assist one, the people who were quite vocally against him said, oh, but it's just against like mid-table league two. Absolutely correct. 100% correct. But then I've seen a lot of similar opinions saying how amazing Dan Neal was and how amazing Jack Diamond was and how that performance guarantees they have to be in the first team because they were so damn good. Is that not the same thing that they've shown really good performances against a League Two team and doing things against a League Two team? Or do you think they showed enough yesterday, as it was as we were speaking on Wednesday, do you think they've shown enough that people can see that they're going to cope in League One? Or do you think... I think there's a clamour from Sunderland fans and possibly football fans in general. They like to see young lads coming through the academy. I think it gives them like a, a sense of satisfaction that they're, they're bringing youngsters through and you know, potentially representing the club and we're going to give 100% every week, whereas some of the players that we sign might not. There's a connection there to the fan base and 
you know, potentially going forward, if we get good players coming through the academy, we can turn in and money maker. We might be able to sell them on for because that's that's let's let's have it right. We're in League One, so if we are to kind of make money from, there's not many of our squad. We're going to be selling for big money, so if we get young academy prospects coming through, might be able to to sell them on for, for money, and that would help us going forward. And I think there's there is a general clamour and and um want need for the, the fans to be seeing these young players coming through, and I think that sometimes colours how good they actually are. I think sometimes it overinflates the performances. But don't get me wrong, I thought I thought particularly Jack Diamond last night did look very, very good. And and I think when they get the opportunities, if they are put in regularly like that, yes, include them. But I think fans sometimes let Academy prospects and young lads coming through have a little bit more leeway than the other players. I think, you know, if they turn in similar level of performances, Charlie White would like you say we'll get slaughtered for it because we'll have signed him from someone and more as expected of him. Whereas a young lad coming through it's kind of, oh, he's going to be the next big thing. I think it's just, it's purely because they are youngsters and they do get a little bit more leeway coming through. My personal opinion, anyway, I think they do. I think the fans wanted that much that they're kind of they're a little bit blind to the actual performances that they see. Yeah, I mean, and again, it was like it was never a slant on their performances. I think they both played really, really well and I completely understand. And I would like to see them in the first team as well. Um, and I'm talking starting 11, not just on the bench, because obviously Daniel hasn't even been on the bench yet, really. Um, in the league games, at least. But I just found it, when White did something against this team, it was just, ah, well, he should be doing it. But when Jack Diamond was doing it, it was like, ah, like, what a fantastic guy, like, doing so, so well. Um, <laughs> and, and I was just like, ah, okay, fair enough. But maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I'm wrong with that. Um, to, be, to be fair, though, Graham, um, Diamond's goal was real, yeah, real was good quality, you know, really yeah. good, good sort of finish. Uh, Charlie White's was, you know, just just the tap and just you know outside, you know, you know, you know, like one yard away. So uh... fantastic positioning, as some would say, in the right place <laughs> at the right time, like a true number nine. Gary yeah, um, made a career out of it. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, <laughs> that and selling Chris. Absolutely. Just to go back, they just to go back to what you were saying about, um, you know, actually playing these, uh, you know, young young lads. Um, you know, and are they ready for for League One? Um, I think actually, good sort of test is is actually in in um, their trophy. Our next yeah. game is um, their Fleetwood. Yeah. Um, so, and I I I would imagine that you know Barton's going to be up for this one. He he's going to want to top you know the group above us. You know, we're both on six points. So, uh, be yeah. a good, be a good uh, test for. I think he'll probably look at that as like a, a league thing as well. He'll probably look at it to see how. They compare before before I leave Sunderland. Um, I was going to do a big long-winded question here, but I'll just ask the the straightforward question. All I want from it is a yes or a no. No more, unless you really feel you need to. Um, Jack Benji Kimbi Yoga. Uh, yeah, yeah I, would, I would say get him involved. Yeah, I think I think he, he offers that athleticism to a bit to the, the, what we're missing. So yeah. What do you What do you think, Ian? Yeah, you know what he signed, and he and then he stuck, you know, two 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 away against um, they're the mags, you know. I think that just sums up, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, again and again, I've said this on Twitter, and I've said it too much that if he does do well, and ends up being like the next Maradona, I'm going to be knackered. But I think he's crap. Um, but anyway, prove us <laughs> wrong, Benji. Please prove me yeah. wrong. You know what? To be honest, Graham, I mean, any 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 time I've seen him, he looks awful. You know, he's looks, yeah. he looks. He looks so sort of raw, you know, that even even he doesn't know what he's doing, you know? Yeah. 
That's yeah. what I've picked up from him. It's like he gets the ball and I just think, what are you doing? Like, But you know what? Again, I hope he proves me wrong. He's a young kid. He could prove me incredibly wrong. And God, like, I hope he does because fair play to him if he does. Moving away from, from Sunderland, um, like I said, it was a bit of a quiet weekend in football. Not much happened, um, which is a total lie, isn't it, let's be honest. But I, I don't even know how I want to phrase this question, but like, but Jack, why did football get so drunk? At the weekend, <laughs> I know it's been crazy, hasn't it? Just the sheer amount of goals that have gone in since the restart. I think it. I think it links back to the fact that there's no fans in. I think players are a bit more willing to, to try things and test things. And there's been, um, you know, there's been a hell of a lot of goals going in. I think the home factor is not playing as much of an issue as it would. You know, the teams are winning away from home more. Um, and yeah, I think it's been enjoyable to watch from a neutral perspective. Do you know what I mean? There's been plenty of goals and excitement and. and and Dortmund points, but yeah, it's been mad, hasn't it? I mean, you're still waiting for it to settle down, and every weekend you think, oh, there can't be as many goals, but I think it was like there's 30 odd goals every weekend, practically, isn't there? At the minute, so got the um, got the sky in at the weekend, and we'd waited ages for it because COVID, the guys couldn't come, all that kind of stuff. And I was coming back late on the Sunday, and I thought, take the matches for us, you know, if they might be decent, they might be all right. And obviously, Ashley messaged me, and she was like. Uh, Villa were winning uh, 4-1. And I was like, all oh, right, through the plane, expecting it to be like, oh, West Ham or something like that. And she was like, Liverpool? And I was like, <laughs> are you sure? Like, are you sure? And she's like, it's 5-1 now. Oh, it's 5-2. Oh, it's 6-2. And the goal just kept raining in. And I was still kind of like laughing about the Man United result, which I'm a 90s kid. I'll always find Man United getting beat very funny. Um, but the standout performance from all of those games was Jack Grealish. Like, for me, anyway. Do you think it's impossible now for Jack Grealish to be left out of the England starting eleven, Jack? Or do you think you'll find Southgate with an excuse like you had too much gel on his curtains or something like that? Getting better and better, isn't he? Every time, mm-hmm. every every few games, every time I watch Aston Villa, he's either scoring or setting a goal up, or he's the key point in their attacks going forward. I think to be named captain as well of, of your team that you, you've been brought through the ranks, and I think he was only twenty four, was he, when he was made captain? It's, it's young. But I think it shows that he can cope with it. The manager sees him, excuse me, sees him as a leader. And technically, I know he's an easy target. <coughs> excuse me, he's an easy target for opposition fans. And like you mentioned, the slip back in, the shin pads thing. He doesn't wear the shin pads up. And he's the type of player you want to dislike. Or you think, oh, you know, hope someone two foot someone goes through him. But, you know, the way that he plays, he's exciting. He's interesting to watch. You know, he's constantly on the front foot, threading balls through. And uh, yeah, I mean, our England midfield is probably the weakest area at the minute. I think we're, we're lacking a couple of creative midfielders in the England team. I mean, we've got John Henderson and one or two others, but they wouldn't, they're not that type of player to open defences up, really. And I think if he keeps playing the ways for Aston Villa, not only does he get games for England, I think Aston Villa might struggle to hold on to him. Do you know what I mean? I think there's going to be, there's going to be interest from teams higher up the league if he continues to play the way that he is. It's ever since that Birmingham fan smacked him in the face, he's been dynamite. Like, that Birmingham fan must be like a right dick because ever since he's done it, he's been like his rival's best player, like by a mile to the point where his elevations, like having him rated like 80 million quid or whatever by Manchester United. It's just like that guy must be like, it just wasn't worth it, man. It wasn't worth it. Um, what what was your big takeout of the, the weekend, Ian? Because you could choose many a moment, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was, you know, crazy really, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I just wondered about why it's been so sort of bonkers, and I actually wonder if if um, the players or some of the players are just starting to hit sort of walls at the moment. 
Mm. Um, you know what? They've had such a, a short, a short close season, and I think, yeah, I think we're maybe seeing that. I think, I think there is maybe a bit of lag. Um, you know, like like sort of Liverpool looked all over the place. You know, they were, uh, you know, not 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 I I that take away from um, uh, their sort of Villa because they were really good, but you know, Liverpool was so poor. You know, they really were. Um, but yeah, I said, but loads of teams have got good sort of technical, um, their sort of attacking, their sort of players. You know, we know that. Um, and maybe this is just a, a crazy, a crazy, uh, their sort of weekend. And actually, next weekend, it's going to be back there, you know, nil nils and God, I hope not. Stuff. So, yeah. I hope it doesn't go back to nil nils because it's like, <laughs> it's just been. I, I've never known a weekend like it. I mean, we've all seen mad weekends in the Premier League. I mean, some proper mad stuff happening in the Premiership. But it felt like it felt like it was just it. It felt like it was drunk. It honestly felt like it was drunk. It felt like something just wasn't quite right with the Premier League. It decided to go out on the lash the entire weekend. Forget what was going on with the football and stuff like that. And yet, the one key question in my mind the whole way through is: I wonder what books Jack Wellish reads. <laughs> I don't know what kind of books he's been reading. I've got this thing now with football players. I'm like, I wonder what books he reads. Anyone didn't listen to the show last week, that I've all flattened its arse, but it doesn't matter because you can tune in, you can subscribe, um, you can like and you can share and you can you can you can you can join in with the in jokes by listening to previous episodes of what the fork happened this week. And if you don't, it's your fault. Talking about the crazy week in the Premier League, but then you meant to have the madness of deadline day, which Sky Sports had on and things like that, which I was a bit confused about because you've got like all these different deadline days, but I suppose that's just the, the life of COVID. But was there anything that you picked out from deadline day, Jack, that kind of got you excited about watching the Premier League? Or do you think the best moves have already happened? Not really. I think as a, as a concept, it's been better days. Deadline day, you think of um, Jim White with his, his yellow yellow tie on a yellow jacket or whatever it was you know what I mean and I think in previous days you look at some of the deals that have been done I remember like I think Urza was signed on deadline day Berbatov one year uh, Robinho going back year, year and you know probably more than the first ones that come to the top of my head there was usually like a massive major transfer done I think that it, it's lacked that the last year or two you know what I mean I think teams are doing the business a little bit more early you know particularly other than Man United most of the clubs had already made the signings so there was no real need to go out and spend late on so it lacked that excitement um i know what you mean there was no kind of one that you would keep checking sky sports for so has it gone through has it gone through you know i think cavani not really that big of a deal um it was a free transfer anywhere and man united signed a couple of other players but there's no no real major transfer was there nah for, for me it's like what deadline day is really missing and i'm not saying this to get all the all the laws and that but what deadline day is really missing is the likes of the Odin wingy turning up at QPR's <laughs> training room. And most importantly, dildos in the ears of reporters um, <laughs> outside of, was that outside of Stoke? There was it. Everton, I think. Everton. Everton, I think. I might be wrong. I, I would have said Everton, but I might be wrong. That was right. And the best part about that was, and I don't know if anyone's seen it, was when he got the dildo in his ears, someone actually done a, a full comic strip of like him as a young lad going to like, reporter school or journalism school and all the hard work he put in and then finally he gets his chance and it was like a full comic book and like he got his chance and he was like that's it deadline day i'm gonna be on live at what would have been goodison park or something and then like basically a dildo in his ear was at the end of his career and it was at the end of the comic just killed him like 
but that doesn't even happen anymore. It's like people get so, and that's, it sounds stupid. People are, people are not putting dildos in the reporter's ears anymore because they're not excited by Deadline Day anymore. But it's because less people are watching it. I mean, Ian, did you even watch the Deadline Day on Sky Sports? Um, no, not really. Little bits, but uh, yeah, Jack was right. There was nothing really going on much for you to go, wow, that's, you know, out, out of the blue or whatever. I think, um, to be fair, I think as a, um, they're sort of Sunderland fan and, uh, you know, I think I think fans of many, um, you know, sort of clubs will, will be, you know, thinking this as well. It actually, it wasn't, you know, deadline, uh, you know, day, was it? It was just... Nah. You know, it was nonsense, really. It was, uh, it was just, you know, Premier League clubs couldn't actually sign anyone else from their um, overseas. Um, and actually, what's quite uh, they're sort of annoying is that they can still sign from from the um, their football league. Can they? So, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. See, that's the thing. Since COVID came in, I've just lost all concept of anything. Like I woke up a couple of days ago and was like, it's October, eh? Like. I thought it was still like March, like the concept of time's just gone and stuff like this situation with like people can sign players from Europe and here and that and the other. I thought it was just Premier League clubs couldn't sign anyone from anyone anymore. So they can still transfer between their own clubs and I take it, like between Premier League clubs. I'm not sure if between their own, um, uh, their clubs, but they can, you know, definitely sign from um, their football league. Oh, yeah, of course they could. Anything that disadvantages the lower league teams, of course. Yeah, um, exactly. Talking about <laughs> big transfers, one of the big ones on deadline day was um, Party, as he's called, or Party, I'm, I'm not sure the pronunciation. Obviously a big money move. And slowly after that, probably one of the biggest departures of Arsenal in recent years, Gunnosaurus um, was sacked. And Gunnosaurus is allegedly no more but then Mesut Ozil, with his cape on, knight in shining armour, comes in, saves Gunnosaurus. Um, but we've heard nothing more about it. But, but Jack, on a serious note, is that quite bad that like Arsenal... Well, it is bad. But how bad is it that Arsenal are getting rid of people, giving redundancies out, but signing players for millions of pounds? Is that just Premier League football or what is it? It is, but it, it is. You're right, it is Premier League football, but it doesn't make it any... Harder, easier to swallow. Do you know what I mean? It's still, it's still tough for, for that. Like I who's lost his job, whoever does it, I don't, don't no one knows who he is. But I always thought Arsenal got it spot on with the mascot. Mascot was recognisable. You knew it straight away. All the Arsenal mascots, a dinosaur was different. Didn't really have any relevance to Arsenal. I don't think dinosaurs and Arsenal. But I thought, you know, rolled it, and it, and it wasn't. In terms of, you know, young kids recognised it, and it was a bit of a, a comic aspect to the, to the to the day, wasn't it? You know what I mean? Footballs turned into quite a serious, sterile. Sport at times, you know what I mean, and I think it was a little bit of light, light entertainment thing. Gunasaurus, and you know, I think it was one, there was one thing on match of the day, the too good, too bad that they did, where his tail got stuck, and I think yeah. one, someone was having to have the job of pulling his <laughs> tail out of reason. That was just things that it just adds a little bit of color to the game, isn't it? A little bit of entertainment and interesting. But I think, yeah, it 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 must be tough for 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 that guy who's lost his job on Arsenal spending what was a forty five million or something on party, and then Sorry, he yeah. can't. For, for a year's wage, isn't it? I, I don't think it'd be on a great, great wage doing that. It doesn't look good, does it really? What would his name be on the P45? Like Gunnosaurus. Gunnosaurus <laughs> Rex, something like that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, mate. But mascots, right? I think mascots are quality. Like my, my favourite, my, probably one of my favourite Twitter pages is Mascots in Minute Silence. 
And it's like when they join in in the minute silence and stuff like that. And it's just, it's always the bloody Scottish teams that make their mascots go into it. But Ian, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot again here. Who's your favourite mascot? I would have said Gonosaurus. Yeah. Yeah. But then if we're saying Gonosaurus, I get the feeling like you've never seen the Partick Thistle mascot. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Those of you who haven't seen the the Partick Thistle mascot, I implore you as we're having this conversation to go in, to go and have a little look and see Kingsley is his name from Partick Thistle. He was designed by an actual artist, apparently, who was obviously on a lot of acid at the time. Um <laughs> Because he's basically just a moon sort of star shape, full like yellow man with like wonky eyes and angry eyebrows and a big massive mouth. And I met him once, funnily enough. This is why I really like him. And he looks, he looks like an LSD trip, if anyone's ever, I mean, I haven't, but I'm guessing <laughs> that's what it looks like. Um, and I met him at a park, th- park Thistle versus Aberdeen. I went with my mate who's a Park Thistle fan. I says, I'm going to go. Yeah, no bother. I just want to meet your mascot. And he, he was fresh. He was new. He'd just been put in place. And I think I paid 24 quid to go see Park Thistle, which is daylight robbery, if I'm honest with you, because they're absolutely rubbish. No offence, Park Thistle fans. But I goes in, and <laughs> Kingsley was just there, all in his yellow, golden colour. <clears throat> I says, Kingsley, can I get a photo? Now, mascots aren't meant to speak. They're just meant to nod, agree with, you know, whatever you ask them to do. Like, can I have a photo? Yeah, get a photo. They do the little pose, and he spoke with this big Glaswegian accent. But go and Google it because Kingsley from Park Thistle is my favorite mascot of all time. I'll tell you, the worst mascot I've ever saw was um, I know Middlesbrough's mascot traditionally a lion, I think he's called Rory the Lion. Rory the but Lion, for a couple of years, what they did, yeah, what they did for a couple of years was when they were sponsored by can you remember the sponsor by Garmin? Garmin yeah. sat now, they sponsored by them for the year. They, they actually produced like another one. So they had Rory the Lion as the main mascot, and they brought on like a sober mascot, like a kind of sidekick. And it was a sat nav, his name was Garmin the sat nav. And I, I mean, whose idea it was to do that, I don't know, but it was just it was just horrendous. I mean, who who can identify with it? I mean, a lion, yes, there's a lion, fair enough, kids like lions, but a sat nav, I mean, really, whose idea was that? And he was parading around the pitch doing these dance moves, and I just thought. Nah, I'm not having that. Can you remember when the was <laughs> it the was well, it Bristol City? Bristol City and Wolves, the three little pigs and the wolf had a fight on the pitch. <laughs> you know, it was three of the pigs started attacking the wolf or something like that. I could be wrong with this, but like it got into an actual fight. I think they started off playful and then I think the wolf started getting a bit pissed off and was like, Will you stop hitting us? It was like three is on to one. And there was a full on Barney, and I think the guy got sacked. I think the guy got sacked. <laughs> I think uh, actually going back to what uh, Jack said about um, the borough, is, isn't it West Brom who have um, a gas, their boiler as their mascot? Is that not? What? Possibly. Yeah. yeah. Well, you might yeah. be right. I need to Google yeah. this. Hang on, let's have a look. So the West Brom mascot is now a gas man. Yeah. I got, no, a, boi- a boiler. You know, boiler. like you have in your, their kitchen. Ah. Hang on, so what the fuck? <laughs> there he is. <laughs> yeah, it's a boiler. Yeah. But it, but West Brom put out, an, it looks like here, West Brom put out a statement to say Baggy Baggy Bird was still their number one mascot. But yeah, they, they've got a boiler. boiler <laughs> yeah, there's a, a boiler mascot. He's called Boiler. It's got to be the sponsor. 
There's got to be a sponsorship or something there. There's got to be money involved there so, somewhere. Like, geez. Do you know what his name is? What? Boilerman. <laughs> it's like the shit of superhero. Why would Boiler. <laughs> Boilerman. Like the shit of superhero that's ever not been known to man. But <laughs> apparently he's their number two mascot. He's their number two mascot. Um, I feel like we've gone he's, too he's far. He's West Brom's version of Gar- Garmin Satnav. Garmin Satnav. <laughs> It doesn't... Yeah, the West Brom's answer to that. Do you reckon, though, if offered enough money, Stuart Donald and Charlie Methven would like literally get rid of Samson and Delilah? Probably. Yeah, like, probably. For, like, I don't know, McDonald's fries or something like that. Stuart Donald would do it himself, man. We don't need a mascot. I can be the mascot. <laughs> I'll be a better mascot than anyone's ever seen. And fans will get behind me as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'll tell, um, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to go back, right? I know I know the Partick Thistle mascot, you know, I know that one well, and it is truly I thought, frightening. I thought you meant personally there, I was just like, hang no, on no, a minute. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that is, whoa, that, that yeah, 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 it's like you're there, yeah, sort of tripping, <laughs> it's not yeah. a good one. He was definitely um, made I, in the 60s, you know what I mean, like or the 70s, whenever they took I, lots of drugs, that's when he was made. Oh, I think, uh, I think. I think it was actually this sort of designed by some some reasonably well known Glasgow um, this sort of artist. Am I slagging off a Glasgow artist here? Hang on. Yeah, I think. Well, <laughs> he was. He, oh, he was. Yeah, he was. He's a Turner Prize yeah. nominated artist called David Shringley. David, yeah. I yeah. promise you, if you're listening, which I doubt you are, but if you are listening, it's not a, It's not something bad. Like I like that you created a monster. That scares kids apart if this and <laughs> I, I like it. I think it's good. Like, well done, David. I can understand why you're nominated. <laughs> um, away from mascots and the, the fantastic world of them. Oh, well, um, I just wanted to bring up one yes. last bit, Graham. <laughs> a big up, okay? Just, just for the, um, just for the randomness of uh, of um, their mascots is my is my local. You know, teams mascot. So, Arbroath um, has a smoked fish. <laughs> Why? Uh, well, they're uh, you know famously they they are the Arbroath. Um, they're Smokies. Ah, oh, so he is Smoky Joe. He's called. Yeah. Detail as well. <laughs> Not just a fish, a smoked fish. <laughs> I like uh-huh. it. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, they are very nice, but yeah, called Smoky Joe. And you can get a, you can yeah. actually buy, here, here our growth, here's something, you can buy a mascot package where you get a meet Smokey Joe and your kid can be a mascot for the day. But I'll be honest with you, Smokey Joe just looks like a bad version of Billy the Fish. Do you remember Billy the Fish? Anyone remember Billy Sounds the like Fish? Sounds like cocktail, Smokey Joe. Yeah, yeah, it does, yeah. It's like a yeah. fish smelling cocktail, you would never <laughs> order, would you? Um <laughs> I've, I've got to try and like segue into now the EFL bailing out the Premier League and taking it serious after we've just ripped the fish out of everyone's mascot. Um, so we wanted to discuss this a little bit, but the, the EFL being bailed out by the Premier League, sorry, is what I meant to say. Um, I'll come to you first, Jack. Is it the, is it the right thing, the wrong thing? I think I think there definitely needs to be something done. I mean, the, the argument from the Premier League clubs that we, we have no... We have no kind of moral compass or moral objective to do that. They don't, but you know, it'd be a worse, it'd be a worse 
uh, English worst English football as a game mm. if, if the the football league didn't exist. Um, I think the the gap between the Premier League and the EFL is getting bigger and bigger all the time. I think there was a statistic: Gareth Bale's on something like six hundred thousand pounds a week, and I think Tottenham are only paying half of that. Yeah. So Tottenham are paying three hundred thousand pounds for one player. And then you've got things like Berry going out of business last year, Macclesfield going out of business. And it just, it doesn't look good. It leaves, it leaves a bad taste in the mouth for fans of a lower league club, which we are now, unfortunately, to say it. We are in the lower half of the Football League. Luckily, we're one of the larger teams that will probably never have to, hopefully, fingers crossed, be in the position where we are going out of business. Um, but I, I don't know if there's maybe something to do with the television deals, because you know, the, the Premier League has a monopoly with Sky and, and BT to an extent. Can the EFL kind of market themselves a little bit better and sell to a, a television company to get more money in. I, I don't know. That may be an option that can get you know, more a better share of the money from television rights or television deals. That might plow a little bit more money in the game. But something has to be done because Accurate and Stanley, Rochdale, Burton, Albion, these are small clubs and with no fans coming into the ground at the minute, there's a serious risk that there are going to be clubs going out of business at the end of the year or whatever. And it would be, be a sad sight that. Yeah, it's either like we just have, it feels to me, and I get, I kind of get that there's no moral obligation to do that, but then it's going to be at this point if it continues to go on, which it doesn't look like it's ending anytime soon, things are getting tighter as opposed to being more open, and especially football just seems to be just, low league football tends to be getting brushed off and like it doesn't matter, that's how it feels sometimes. Um, But if it continues on, you might find that there's only the Premier League left. Because, like, I mean, we're talking, like, cinemas and stuff are going bust because not enough people are going into them. At least you're allowed to go into a cinema. You're not actually allowed. I mean, saying that, you can go into a cinema and watch watch Premier League football. Like, what's going on with that? Like, I mean, Ian, did, did you see that? Like, you can go into the View Cinema and watch Saturday's Premier League football, but you can't get into a, <laughs> a stadium. Like, yeah. Yeah, just absolute nonsense. <laughs> it's yeah. just, you know, go to, to a... They saw cinema and watched the football, you know, so you're inside um, in actually a relatively small space, um, you know, for a for a virus that is probably airborne. Um, however, you can't go and sit outside in a in a you know in in some fairly massive you know stadiums where 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 a reasonable amount of fans can actually be be sort of distanced. Uh, yeah, just absolute nonsense, isn't it? Yeah. It makes no sense. I mean, I kind of, I kind of get my head around. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of things I suppose about this situation and, and the government that I can't get my head around. But whilst we're on the subject of football, that's like one of the big ones. I mean, what is the plan for moving forward? Because obviously, I think every club came out yesterday, and and basically said, you know, the hashtag let fans in, which I'm personally like right behind because I've seen. You can socially distance at a football game. I've, as people know, I, I work for Middlesbrough Women, and I've seen us every home game correctly socially distance, track and trace, sanitise. Like it's it's easy if I'm honest with you. And it's if you've got a half decent operation, you know what you're doing, and you're all about keeping people safe. You can do it and still enjoy the football and still have fun at it. So in a Premier League stadium, I mean, I'll, I'll touch on this actually because this, this might maybe interest people in a way. Um, I was obviously at the Stadium of Light last week because of the Middlesbrough women and Sunderland game. And I can't understand how you couldn't get at least a 1,000, 2,000 fans in that stadium because I swear, like, there's so much space in it and it's so eerie when it's empty. It's so desolate. Like, 
it needs something in there somewhere. But why, why is no? That's the thing. Why is no one giving us the answer as to why you can't socially distance, be socially distant in a stadium of forty-eight thousand five hundred with one or two thousand people? I mean, Jack, do you think it's just they just don't care? Do you think football like is not the government aren't bothered by it? I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think it's it's you know the the, the big on businesses and you know and, and things like that coming back, but I think. Particularly this government, sorry to get a little bit political, but I think they're not really interested in, in the sport of football. They're not really bothered about predominantly working class people going to football matches up and down the country. It's not something that really concerns them, so it's not a major issue. I mean, the, the, not just communities, but people's lives are revolved around football. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's sad to say, but there are some people that live for football. You know, it's a major thing in my life. So I think men, mentally it would do a lot of people the world a good if they could go back to the football games from a social perspective as well to say that but obviously we want to be safe I do get that you know we don't want to put people, to put people at risk and I do, I do get that safety has to come into it but you know it's certainly something not right when you can, you can go to a cinema like you say or you can go to other, other places and pubs and, and workplaces and you know I'm in a workplace now in an office and uh, you know you can't stay two meters away from people all the time you are coming into close contact with each other and you know the space we're in is a lot smaller so why why can't they look at getting some some amount of fans back in the ground, whether it's 5,000 or 10,000 or however many, and then just space them out as best as they can. Um, I definitely think, you know, they should be looking into doing it very, very shortly in the next month or two, if possible. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I can't understand how long, how, how longer it can go on like like this. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And it's like, I mean, it's not, certainly not going to attack the government from many things, but I'll go on record and say that it's, that's just the way it's coming across. The way it's coming across is like they literally don't care about people who go watch football and it is a working class game. Um, I just can't quite get my head around when this is going to start having fans in. And by the time you get fans in, is the club going to be gone? But it's just the whole, it's the whole of the arts, isn't it, really? I mean, if we're going to get slightly political with it, it's not just football, it's anything within the arts, anything that seemingly working class people use to survive is kind of shit on from a, a huge, massive height. And it's, it's driving me crackers, as you can probably tell. But I mean, Ian, I'm not asking you, do you have the answers? But I am going to ask the question, do you have any answers? What What do you think should happen? I think, um, you know, you know, when we look at, you know, work, work, work sort of places, um, you know, restaurants, you know, theatres, things like that. These, you know, I know I, I, I know myself in my work, which is a reasonably old um, sort of building. Um, and we are, um, you know, risk assessed there to the max just now about, you know, how many people are in a room, all that kind of stuff. There's all sorts of rules going on. Now, you know, you know, c- could we not properly, you know, risk assess, you know, the, the, the stadium alike for actually letting some fans back in? You know that? It's, uh, you know, like I say, there's loads of room. You know, there's loads of room outside of the, the stadium that have safe... Um, they're sort of queuing and such like, you know, I, yeah, it seems really feasible, but yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the, the government doesn't, doesn't really sort of care. I mean, we've already seen that in the, um, you know, we, we can't go to, uh, the, but, you know, we can't go there to the football, but you can go out shooting, um, you know, you know, birds, if you like. You know, it's yeah. Just, uh, yeah. Yeah. Any, uh, well, it, 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 
yeah, the conversation is long and, and drawn out with that one. I think everyone knows how everyone feels about that sort of stuff. And it's uh, quite frankly, I think it's wrong. Um, that's my opinion. I'll, I'll stand by it. But when it comes to COVID at the moment, we've got International Weekend as well. So just to end on it, uh, breaking news sort of as we speak is probably even more bizarre in a way. Well, not more bizarre, but as bizarre potentially. Um, Kieran Cheney has been asked to self-isolate because Stuart Armstrong has been tested positive for COVID and so has Ryan Christie. Now, Kieran Tierney said he's socially distanced from him the whole time that he's been away with him. I don't understand how these things work, but if he has been socially distant, why is he having to self-isolate and why the other players not? Have Have you seen any of the, the news about this? Especially you, Ian, obviously living in Scotland and whatnot, like myself. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't. Well, I only heard that um, they, that he had to. I didn't actually know the the, the exact the sort of reason. I first heard that Armstrong had, you know, tested positive, mm-hmm. um, and then, but you know, you said that um, they sort of Christie's tested positive as well. Uh, no, he's he's been asked. He's been told he has to self isolate. But they, I, th- well, I think, at least Kieran right. Cheney said that he was. He was nowhere near him, so therefore he doesn't understand why he has to self-isolate and Arsenal are also well, getting involved with it. Right, I'm actually wondering if they all travelled up there together then. Yeah. Maybe that's why. Yeah. A few. But, he, but he, he claims that he's been nowhere near him at any point. Or he's, so, he's socially distanced from him. Um, was this, he was sitting in the back seat, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> my, my thought was, is it possible to be socially distant when you're a football club? Well, I think, well, I I just want to pick up on this. Sorry, sorry, Jack. But um, when we had the case at, um, uh, where was it? Um, St Mirren, they were the goalkeepers. Yeah, they had the three goalkeepers. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. So um, I I remember reading at the time that, you know, that basically the the goalkeepers were in their their own sort of bubble self-isolated didn't actually affect the rest of the team um but now we've seen that uh was it uh oh, kilmarnock yeah kilmarnock's got six players that yeah. have as well yeah yeah so so now the whole side has to self-isolate yeah you know because because they're obviously you know the six players have been on um you know there's a training pitch so um, yeah, I think there's a, I think there's a lot more to come here. I think there's uh, there are a couple of fixtures haven't been able to, there to go go ahead. I think yeah, I, you know, to be honest, I think we're just going to see more more and more of this. Just getting more and more kind of bizarre, isn't it? I mean, with with the amount of positive tests, I mean, was it Thiago that was with was it and, and obviously Marnie actually come and talk about Liverpool. Marnie, Marnie, yeah, Marnie was last week as well. Um, I mean. Is there a serious threat that football could be stopped again, Jack, do you think? I think so. I think we're getting towards that stage. Um, I think we're certainly getting towards that stage. The more common it is, the more players that are infecting each other. And, you know, I think I think it's getting towards that stage, which will be terrible because it's just, we just feel like we're getting excited and getting back into it. But it'll come more and more into it. If, if I know it's happening a lot in Scotland, you know, the players you've mentioned are mainly in the SPL and, and, and things. But, if it filters its way down to the English Premier League, I think I can see it stopping again, yeah. 
Yeah. It'd be, well, fingers crossed, it, it won't. And fingers crossed that that won't happen and everything will be sort of fine moving forward. But um, but yeah, it feels like we're talking about COVID again with a little bit of mascots in the middle. Um, but thanks for joining me as always, lads. I appreciate your, your time and your, your mascot fandom um, alongside myself. Please go and Google a picture of Kingsley. Uh, do not take acid or LSD at any point, and especially not when you're looking at him. But thanks very much, lads.